I have a coach, but it's more of like a group of us. And I actually do certain programming. So we're on like a cycle and a schedule, four week cycle, or it kind of repeats itself with different focus and different days where one day, if I'm doing a ton of shoulders, I know the next day is not going to be crazy shoulders. Or like if one day is a ton of grip work, the next day I know I was going to get a break and be more lower body. So it's always good to have someone to keep that in mind. If you're making up all your own workouts, it's hard and you need some guidance. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kyburn, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Hey there, Dr. Emily Kybert here with Muscle Medicine Podcast. Today we sit down with Megan Helwig, a doctor of physical therapy in Carlsbad, California. She works out of the CrossFit gym that's in Carlsbad. And not only does she treat a lot of CrossFit athletes, she's also one. She treats a lot of triathletes. She's also competing in a half Ironman in Hawaii. And she's a rock tape instructor. So we do a deep dive today on how to use rock tape, which is a tape that has fabric in it. It changes the sensory input that goes to the brain, which can in turn make tight muscles not so tight, can make sleepy muscles activated, can basically change the sensory perception to block the pain perception that goes to the brain. So super cool conversation as we sit down with Megan and deep dive into rock tape and what's up and coming in their programming. So let us know what you think on iTunes. Go ahead, subscribe, rate and review to Muscle Medicine Podcast. Shout out to one of our reviews on iTunes. This is from Nick Gunaris. Please listen to this podcast. He says, be open. If you're not open to questioning yourself and your practices to find the best practices for your own life. Enjoy exclamation point. Nick, thank you so much for the review. I love it. You're a game changer. And if you guys love the content and feel like it's delivering value to your life, go to iTunes subscribe, written review. It means so much and spreads the word of how to feed, train, and rehab the largest organ in the body, the muscle. Now, the episode with Megan Helwig. Today, we have Dr. Megan Helwig, on Muscle Medicine Podcast. Megan, I'm so excited to have you on. We met, I can't even remember, oh, it was like God. eight years ago at an Ironman competition at Lake Placid, I think. It had to, yeah, doing the ART tent. <laughs> yeah. And over the years, we kind of circled the same continuum education, like NKT, neurokinetic therapy, muscle testing, and mm-hmm. we practice very similar, but you are on a much warmer... <laughs> friendlier coast than I am. (laughs) Yes, I am. Yeah. So you have an amazing PT practice out of the CrossFit gym in Carlsbad. What's that CrossFit gym called? It's Offshore CrossFit. Awesome. And so you also are an active CrossFit, what would you say, competitor? Athlete, competitor. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. (laughs) So you're treating, it sounds like very, very high level patients 
So I have a good mix out here. I have a mix of my triathletes still, and I'm actually diving back into that world doing the half Ironman in Hawaii in June. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be fun to find a nice little balance of CrossFit and triathlon training, but I have that whole group of clients. I have my golfers. And then of course I have my CrossFit athletes. Oh, that's right. I forgot your golf background. So you yes. go on course, right? And you will um, I can, golf clubs. I do. And I used to do it a lot more out here. That's a whole new network that I'm diving into, but I have a, like a bunch of longstanding golfers, tour players that come to see me at my office. And if they're coaches in town, sometimes we will go to the range so we can both look at stuff together. So it's kind of fun collaborating with the team. That's amazing. So you have this muscle testing background, some soft tissue release, the golf background, the CrossFit background, and yeah. you're a rock tape instructor. I am. Amazing. Can you just give us a little background on, for someone who doesn't know what rock tape is and doesn't know how it's used, can you give us a little background? So kind of the spiel I use is I kind of ask them if you've recognized like athletes wearing that colored tape back Misty May, Carrie Welsh in the Olympics. That's where it kind of started. And so I teach for a company, specifically Rock Tape, that had made and came out with their version of kinesiology tape, something that would stick longer, last longer, work better, you know, that whole thing. That was the reason why Greg, the old owner of it, created it. So I get to travel the country teaching the concepts to other practitioners behind the uses of the tape, along with any of the tools. When you see clients or practitioners using the metal tools, we teach the concepts behind that. And then we also have a cupping course, a flossing course. And then this summer, we're starting a new movement assessment course. Oh, um, awesome. Yeah, so there's a lot of different courses. But the yeah. nice part about it is, like when you go to these courses, you're teaching just the concepts behind it and the why behind you're using the tools. They needed an assessment course because... You know, you want to know the why behind yeah. it. It's easier to choose which treatment modality or what treatment stroke you're going to be using. Yeah, always, always want to ask the why behind yeah. why someone has pain. So when someone has the tape placed on their skin, what's happening to the body? Depending on which application you used, but if we say just pain, a pain application, the pain pathway to the brain is going to be slower than the pathway of touch to the receptors in the skin. So say we all have, you know, a ton of mechanoreceptors in our hair follicles. So having tape on the skin is going to tap in those mechanoreceptors, sending a signal to the brain, which is hopefully beating that pain signal, which then gives you more awareness of that area, whether it be more awareness or blocking that area, blocking that pain signal. So that's technically what happens. If we know, if it's someone that has chronic pain, we know that they also have some altered perception in the brain of that area. They're going to have some smudging in that area. They've probably compensated. They've probably maybe avoided using that area. So I use the analogy of a GPS system. Say we're trying to get to a certain area with a map, driving-wise, but we don't have good signal. We don't have good reception. How frustrated do we get? Because it's like, oh, updating, searching for network. We don't know how to get there. You're like, okay, I need a turn. Where do I go? I kind of use that analogy for the brain. Um, if we don't have a clear signal to that area, our movement patterns are going to be off. We're going to compensate. And that's where we start to develop other, you know, compensatory patterns or habits, not necessarily always good ones that could create other issues. So having tape on the skin is helping bring more awareness and cleaning up that signal to the brain. By having that awareness and cleaning up the signal, can it help? retrain a movement pattern? Can it 
A hundred percent. So a great example was, and it's on my Instagram from this weekend, past weekend was a CrossFit athlete that was competing, came in with like sharp back pain. And I could see just the way she was standing. She was like, yeah, I was a gymnast for 18 years. She had that total anterior tilt, rib flare, like locking down on SI. I was like, yes, your back hurts. Like you're overusing your low back. You are not engaging your core. Like the sway, Um, the booty pop. Yep. So I was like, all right, do me a favor. Just pull your pubic bone up to your belly button and tuck your ribs down a little bit. She's like, oh, that's a little better. It doesn't hurt as much. And I'm like, well, yeah, Yeah. you're you're decompressing the back. You're (laughs) activating the core. I'm like, okay, so now stay in that position. I'm going to put two pieces of tape on the front of your stomach. I love that move. I use that one every day. Yeah. It's my favorite taping. And she's like, but no, my pain's in my back. I'm like, just trust me for a second here. Like, let's just give this a try. We can always put a piece of tape on your back because we have to please the client too. And that's where her pain is. But the two pieces on her stomach and you put them in the ideal posture, she learns through failure. So every time she goes to go into that bad posture or her normal or her pattern, she's going to get feedback because there's going to be stretch on the skin, which then stimulates those mechanoreceptors to remind her, hey, you're going into that posture we don't like get back into that neutral posture. And she came back the next day. She's like, I didn't believe you. She's like, but I haven't had pain. She's like, I haven't had pain since you put the tape on. She, and then she messaged me on Instagram like two days later. She's like, I can't believe this. This is amazing. And I was like, it's just a pattern. You have to like, yeah, 18 years of gymnastics got you a long way, but there's some little habits in there we need to break now. (laughs) I love when people go to like consult the professional and then they're surprised. They're like, wait, but no, my pain's here. What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. So what does the research say about, because I know from different philosophies, some people say you can turn on a muscle, you can turn off a muscle, you can, like, does that happen when you're using the tape? So I originally took KT1 and 2 as my original, like, courses back in the day, like 2009 or so. And it was like origin insertion, insertion to origin, you know, 25% to inhibit, 75% stretch to activate. And they've done a ton of studies. And actually they, like some of the studies, the opposite happened. Like, so we were able to, yeah, so it wasn't consistent. And does our brain really remember where we started or stopped or put the tape on first? Our brain just knows there's tape on the skin. So we kind of say you can throw all that out the door. It's just putting the tape on the skin is going to bring more awareness. And then the brain's going to get to decide what it wants to do with it. It almost is more of like a normalizing tone. It's bringing more awareness to the area so that it has the opportunity to do what it's supposed to do. Got um, it. And the brain gets to dictate it. I spent so many years being like, okay, is it 25%? Is it 70 Oh, wait, am I going O to I, I to O? I know. I was like, I would make up sayings. I'm like, PDF, proximal to distal facilitates. Like I would have to make up little sayings. I'm like, this is crazy. You can throw it all out the door. Stretch wise, we just almost do paper off tension, which is like 25%. And then for a painful area, you can put a little more stretch just on that area. But we found so many more of the people that were having irritation on the skin. It was from too much stretch. Less is going to be more. I've had not people who've been through my practice, but people who have had the tape and it was stretched too much get skin irritation to the point where they get boils. Yeah, like blister boils. Yeah. Yeah. And like scarring from it. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other, I don't know, like great success cases that you can think of where you use rock tape and maybe people have tried everything else like 
going to their orthopedic surgeon and the chiropractor and their physical therapist and kind of did the standard rehab protocol, but didn't get better, where maybe then adding this additional modality really moved the needle on their pain? I'm trying to think back, but some of like my huge success stories are more of a combination of, you know, maybe using some of the NKT with the rock tape, finding out the underlying why, which they're like, I don't know why the heck you found, like, how would you find that? <laughs> like, okay, if I clench my jaw, the pain goes away. Or if I like curl my toe, you know, like those weird things, but you know, they're all connected. Yeah. The biggest thing is like, I love using, like I just said before, the tape for the postural awareness because so often people's pain is coming from, you know, maybe their posture. They don't realize they're in a certain position all day. So not using the tape to strap them into a position, but put them into their ideal posture and put the tape on with no stretch at all. Mm. Um, Because you don't want to hold them there. You want them to learn. And then they learn through the failure when they go to move out of that posture. Um, So it's just more of that, that feedback loop that they need all those reps to finally like retrain a pattern. Yeah. So sometimes you'll see on social media, there's like a piece of tape from their heel up their back to the opposite shoulder. It's like a five foot piece of tape. Yeah. What is going on there? Um, So we do teach in our advanced course, we teach according to Thomas Myers, the anatomy trains. And Mm. we're not really, we try to get away from saying we're treating muscle. We're not treating muscles, we're treating fascial line. And actually there's more receptors in our superficial and deeper fascia than actually in the muscle counterpart. So that's why we te- you don't have to go as deep. So when we use the tools and we're doing ART or you're doing whatever manual techniques you do, you don't have to go as deep to the muscle because you can tap into all those other receptors in the superficial fascia. Um, so you have your Piscinian, um, Ruffini, all those receptors that you can tap into that will affect tone of the muscle without having to do super deep and almost trauma to the, to the tissue. But when you see the tape on them, it's more of taping that, those fascial lines Yeah. I mean, using those big pieces of tape, you can. Some people love it, but also I'll split it up even smaller and just do small little segments of tape, but more over the stability points of the fascial line. So around the knee, around the bottom of the foot, around the low back, around the scapula, because we find that there's a lot more, if you bring more awareness to the stability segments in the joint by joint model, you can see the same results as if you tape that whole line. So you can use a lot. You can use a lot less tape because that tape's not cheap. (laughs) So, do you find that when you tape people, there is a potential tendency for them to now not try to create that stability through exercises rehab on their own, or do you do you have a very compliant population? Sometimes I feel like I'll tape someone, and then they want to go do a double spin class, so like ninety minutes of spin, and then not do the rehab. And they're like, but the tape well, is holding me up. <laughs> they, the tape makes them feel so much better too sometimes that they feel yeah. that they can then push it harder. So that's the hard part because then they're not in pain anymore, but they still might have dysfunctional patterns. Yeah. So I always tell them like, you're going to feel better. This is going to feel good. And it's going to be really tempting to want to go and push yourself. And I was like, you can do that, but just know that that's going to probably prolong the rehab process. Or it's like, you're going to feel good and you might be able to work harder or longer, whatever you want to do, but you still might be pushing compensatory patterns or developing other ones because you feel good, but you don't have the strength to maintain it. So that's the hard part. A lot of my athletes are that mentality where they're not going to stop. And I totally get it because that's me. (laughs) 
home. Like I totally get it. If I, if I were to tell you not to do something, I'd be like, goodbye, not seeing you again. Like, so I know like that line of like, is it safe? Like if they're not safe, I'm going to be like, okay, this is not safe for you to do. You could get hurt a ton. Like you need to back off. Or I'm going to try to find a fun way for them to be able to modify. Be like, okay, you're not doing this stuff, but you could do all these other exercises and make a workout out of that stuff right now. What's an Um, example of that? Because I know like when I think of you treating triathletes and CrossFitters, those are like the two populations where they're like, I'm not stopping. So mm -hmm. like what modification would you give, I don't know, for like a CrossFitter when you think of that? It depends on the movements that, or what they're coming in with. Like if they're having some shoulder stuff, I can give them a killer lower body core exercise workouts, stuff to do and just modify certain movement patterns or not let them go into certain ranges. It's harder when it comes to the triathletes and stuff because it's just swimming, biking or running. Like they're like, what am I going to do? And I have one or two very high level that they know that they can't go past like a six mile run. They run and then end at the pool and then get in and do a half hour, hour, two hours of aqua jogging. I mean, that was his personality. He went and I would be there swimming and he'd be doing two hours of aqua jogging because he knew he couldn't do it loaded. I'd probably just, for me, I don't know if I'd aqua jog for two hours, but (laughs) I mean, (laughs) he was smart about though, which I liked where other people probably would go out and try to run. And then they come in, they're like, oh, it felt good for a little bit. And then it hurts again. Well, obviously. Do you find triathletes are some of the hardest clientele to work with? Or not so much? Hardest, but they're very aware of their bodies too, but also probably very dysfunctional. Like I know function wise, like for me, when I was training for Ironman back 2014, like I was probably the least functional. Like now doing CrossFit, like I can sit in a deep squat and hang out there where if I tried to do a squat back in those days, I'd fall right over because they're in one plane the whole time. Yeah. Type of thing. So there's just so much dysfunction or overcompensation in certain areas. Yeah. Um, I try to get them to do a nice mix and start doing some weight training to open things up. Do you find that that weight training makes them more resilient? Like they don't fall apart or they oh. can last longer in their training, in their triathlon oh. train? A hundred percent. It doesn't have to be super heavy stuff, but it just has to be trying to break some of those patterns that they just developed with all the volume of just the running and biking. Yeah. So what kind of stuff would you give them? I mean, I'm breaking it out, just trying, I mean, they're doing assisted squats to even start. Some of them, I I will not even let them load a barbell. Um, So like a TRX squat like that, like a like, yeah, like just even trying to see if they can get into certain positions, like TRX squats, going through, doing like lunges all different directions, just trying to open them up and doing some loaded stuff, getting them core stuff, crawling, all that stuff into a dynamic workout. And that's where we're starting. Some of them can get further in load and have a really good balance of both. And others that have not weight trained at all, like we're starting with, you know, TRX and supported stuff. Do you find that sometimes all that time on the bike, creates kind of like a little hunch, you know, and a lot of them might be then going to work and sitting all day. What kind of stuff do you give them for that? A lot of it's just postural stuff, opening everything up, getting into other positions. I mean, a bunch of them have thankfully changed and all have stand-up desks now. So they're not sitting all day and in that hunched over position, just stuff at work, getting into the doorway and opening up your chest. If they can't get on the ground and do some like open books or get over a ball or a foam roller or something to get into that opposite position to open up the chest and the hips. Just even dynamic lunges, just split stance off the chair if they're seated, just to open up the hips because that's just hours in that closed position. Yeah. So what's your warm up look like? I mean, you're 
one of, you know, out of many people I know, you are, I see Instagram stories <laughs> every day, like you're at the pool, now you're on the bike, now you're running, now you're <laughs> snatching above <laughs> So I, we normally, so I have a group that we all train with when it's more the CrossFit stuff, but it's funny, we get there, like we'll say our start time, like today our start time's 2.30. I will get there probably 1.30, 1.45, and I take – I mean, we're hanging out too, so it's a little bit social. So when I'm on a more restricted schedule with my time, I don't have – I mean, I, we consolidate it all. But I'm going through and maybe I'll warm up five minutes on the bike. Then I'll go through and do you know, some rolling out of my chest, uh, foam roller, vibration, you know, hype rice, or the trigger point vibrating ball. Do that. Pair it with like some crossover symmetry and doing like some arm – shoulder T's, Y's, W's, lat activation, go through, do the bands. Then I'll go through and get on my back and get into like that three month baby position and just do some breathing into some rocking into like just a whole flow for that Mm -hmm. into crawling. And then I'll get in and do like all different direction lunges, like the world's perfect stretch, walking lunges, you know, what is the world's perfect stretch? What is that one? I haven't heard that one. I don't know. There's probably lots of names for it, but getting into that lunge, then like trying to get your elbow down and then open up and that twist. Uh, okay. It's like that lunge twist. I don't know. That's what I heard someone say once. So I just call it that sometimes. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> and so then you're working all the way to upright, just like how we learned our movement patterns when we were kids, right? Mm-hmm. So going through that, going through all the different lunges, going through maybe some squat patterns, then maybe getting into, depending on the workout of the, whatever the day, what we're doing, then I start loading depending on where I'm at. How long does that take you? Because I think a lot of athletes or people who are like weekend warriors don't want to warm up. Like they're like, I I only have an hour. I don't have time to warm up. And it's like, I mean, you can make that into like a little flow, make it into a 20 minute mini workout, but you add the bike in and do little intervals of the bike or the row or a jog in between switching up the different exercises just to keep moving. Yeah. I mean, you could probably consolidate it into like 15, 20 minutes, but of course we're just hanging out and, you know, going through different stuff, talking, figuring out what we're doing. So I give myself a little extra time. Do you think every strength athlete should have a coach? Like what's the importance of having a coach? Because we oftentimes are taking someone that's in pain and being like, you have to find a trainer to clean up your form. You can use our trainer in the clinic. If you have a trainer, let's connect with them. I mean, it's always good to have that guidance. Like I would say I have a coach, but it's more of like a group of us. And I actually do certain programming. So we're on like a cycle and a schedule, four week cycle, or it kind of repeats itself with different focus and different days where one day, if I'm doing a ton of shoulders, I know the next day is not going to be crazy shoulders. Or like if one day is a ton of grip work, the next day I know I was going to get a break and be more lower body. So it's always good to have someone to keep that in mind. If you're making up all your own workouts, it's hard. And you need some guidance. I do that for some people, but it's hard to be everything for everyone. We can't kind of do that. So having our network of people to refer to for nutrition, for taking it to the next level with exercise, because I feel like we do a wonderful job with that, but then we can't stay with them sometimes the whole way and to trying to have that program unless we have someone in-house with us that can do that. In my practice, it's just me right now. So that's, you know, then I have my network of other people that I refer out to. Yeah. What's your recovery look like? In between sessions or off-season recovery? I mean, I swim twice a week as part of my recovery days. So my recovery days will be swim, which probably be changing a little bit as I ramp up for the 
the half Ironman. So my recovery days might be just more tri days where it's like a long swim and a run or a long bike ride and a run. So, I mean, my diet is trying, like I say, diet too is something that's important. Like making sure I'm getting in a good meal right before and after my workouts, trying to be more real food than, you know, bars or supplements, um, protein powders. I will if I have to, but yeah. I and what, what do those meals look like? Is it like more protein, more carbs? I was keto a little while ago and I actually switched. Mm. I did it for a little bit to see if I could normalize, well, hormone wise too. My period actually is more normal now after doing it. Mm, um, interesting. And my skin cleared up, but I think it was because I took out the carbs and the sugar because I'm, I'm a jerk when it comes to sugar. If I start <laughs> having it, <laughs> I want to keep having it. So by just taking it all out, it was great. I like the cravings were gone. Eating that much fat was weird. I didn't lose weight on it. Like I was hoping to drop some weight, but I just maintained, which was fine. But now my meals are probably more balanced between like, you know, five ounces of some kind of protein. Like Mm -hmm. before I work out today, like an hour or two before I'll have five ounces of chicken. I had like 200 grams of string beans and a hundred grams of sweet potato. And then afterwards I'll have something like that too. That you've measured out. I do measure it out. The 100 grams. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I wish more of our people would do that. Going back to rock tape, when do you stop using the tape, right? So sometimes people come to me and they love the tape for posture and for getting their ribs down, the like two Mm -hmm. down, down the abdomen. We use that a lot too. When do you stop or is it kind of just like always a tool you have in your back pocket? Um, And it's funny because I've had, we've all had our clients where they're like obsessed with our touch and then you're trying to wean off our touch. Um, <laughs> totally. so, sometimes, so sometimes I'm like, okay, this tape, it's like an extension of my hands. I'm still with you. And that's when I'm like weaning to that. But then all of a sudden I'm like, now I have to wean off the tape. And sometimes with the tape, I'll start using little smaller segments. Mm-hmm. I have one client that comes to mind and she felt that she couldn't even like squat to go to the bathroom, pick up her son, any of that stuff because her knee was so bad. But she had also had some bad luck with some surgeons that kept doing knee surgery, but the knee wasn't the issue. It was her hip and her core. So we addressed all that other stuff, but she still needed that sense of safety with the tape on the knee. And I remember one session she came in and she was like, I had to take the tape off. Can you just tape it before we get started? And I was like, okay, yes, we will. And I knew, I'm like, I'm going to try to push it and see. I'm not going to tape her until she begs me to do it. And we, we got through the whole session and she was like, wait a second, you never tape my knee. And I was like, yeah, I know. I was like that. We were doing box jumps, step ups, lunges, squats, and she was totally fine, like almost in tears because it's a lot of it's mental too, where they're like obsessed with the tape and they're like, they think they won't be able to function without it. So that was one case where I just had to kind of trick her into doing a bunch of stuff and she realized she was okay Mm -hmm. without it to give her that faith to believe that she could. So sometimes it's more of that emotional mental side of believing in themselves where they don't have that faith in themselves yet that they're okay. And we need to give that to them. And sometimes the tape does that. The tape, they, it gives, it's like your little thunder blanket, like your security blanket. <laughs> I so, love um, that. so I'm totally okay with using it. Like maybe I'll say, okay, we'll put it for, we'll do the workout today without it. I want to watch your form without it. But then at the end of the session, we'll put it on. So then when you go home, you feel safe and you're going about your daily activities. You're, you know, going through those reps in a better, with better form or more awareness. And I want them getting those reps in. Or sometimes I have them just wear it during a workout because I know they're going to be pushing that threshold and I want them to be more aware during that threshold workout and then take it off after the workout. Yeah. Um, It depends on the person and what their situation is. 
but I always have it just in case. Yeah. How's your practice changed since like using the tape? I mean, as practitioners, our practice always evolves and what we use more of and what we use less of. So for example, like currently the more DNS we use, the less soft tissue work we do. It just, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I was just wondering like how your practice has changed. And with the DNS stuff too, for mine, like it's changed. So how I'm thinking about everything like has changed with the concepts of rock tape, the DNS stuff, like it's gotten me away from just doing so much manual. It's more of just using it for cueing. And even with the cupping, like using the cups more for cueing, like retraining movement patterns and yeah, using the cups for the decompression, Mm -hmm. but using them for visual cues of how to move the body. When I would like look at everything, it would be like, I don't know, maybe like 30% manual, 30% neuromuscular re-ed, 30% of like actually getting and moving and doing stuff. Like it's a, I've changed, I guess, away from strictly manual. Which is labor intense. I know. I'm like, like, I like the chain. Yeah. (laughs) And you don't have to go as deep. I'm like, why were we beating up our bodies so much trying to do all this deep tissue? But, and the clients still think you have to go super deep to affect something. And I'm like, actually you don't like, and if I go super light and do stuff, they're like, is that really doing anything? And then they get up, they're like, oh, that's weird. Like it feels better. What'd you do? You hardly touched me. I'm like, yeah. I mean, you don't have to go super deep to have a response, which is yeah, kind of- exactly. Kind of just like the beauty of rock tape is <laughs> you don't have to pull it hard. No, that's why I fell in love with the company in the beginning was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. It's movement driven, you know, it's driven. And like, that's a part of my practice was finding the why, like, why does this hurt? Yeah. You're moving in like a compensatory way, or you're, we're trying to clean certain things up. And like, it's not like just different protocols. Like all the, if you do this, you have to do this. Like we give you the tools and then you go and assess and figure out the why. And then you have this whole toolbox of things to pull out once you figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. And that's where they kind of brought me on like a year, a little over a year, a year and a half ago. And it's been amazing. What's some of the like newest stuff that they're playing with? Cause I know it was like the tape, then the tools, then the cups, mm-hmm. now the assessment. Um, so like the newest stuff was be the cupping course. So like we always think all our manual was always so much compression where sometimes our tissue needs some decompression. And fascial mobility, like getting fascial glide, getting tissue glide with decompression. So that's more the cupping, which of course, thanks to Michael Phelps and all this cupping marks at the Olympics, like now everyone's like, oh, I want cupping. So we kind of went with that too and created a course, but there's evidence out there that it does work too. Then the flossing course, which some people are like, oh, what's flossing? Um, And that's just another way to work on fascial mobility where you kind of, it's like not, you can't call it blood flow restriction training because we can't measure the amount of occlusion or restriction we're putting on. So it's more of just compressive and you're not keeping it on long. It's like 60, 60 seconds to two minutes max and then going through some movement. So that's one of our fascial mobility courses. So Um, if someone doesn't know what flossing looks like, can you give them like a quick, this is what happens when we talk about flossing? I was like, do I have it here with me? If you're allergic to latex, unfortunately, it is a latex band right now, so you wouldn't be able to use it. But it's more of compressive wrapping of a latex band. Like, say, if you want to do the calf, like, yeah, calves are normally really tight. But a lot of times people complain of like musculoskeletal symptoms, but it could be just fascial restriction. 
that's mimicking musculoskeletal stuff. So one way to work on it is working on that tissue glide. So you wrap like maybe say 50% compression or stretch of the band around the calf and then go through and walk, heel raises, toe raises, calf stretch. So you're getting the compression, but then you're getting an internal glide of your tissue relative to your fascia. And then go ahead, take it off and move around and see how it feels. And you can actually add like therapist or manual assisted like um, resistance in different directions on the latex while you're going through those movements to improve tissue glide. And how does it usually feel afterwards? It should feel a lot better, like more freedom of motion, uh, like just the tissue glide. It shouldn't feel as restricted or tight if it was truly a tissue glide issue in Mm. there. Yeah. Awesome. And then what's like the latest stuff that's coming out? So we're slowly, I, we ha- I haven't even seen the full deck yet for it, but it's probably going to be around June. We're going to have our first movement assessment course. So it's going to be a two-day assessment course because I find in all the courses, everyone's like, well, how'd you get to that? Why would you even think to go there? And I mean, we all know through some of the NKT and some of the other stuff, common patterns. And, and it's all in the practitioner. Sometimes you just get a sense like, for some reason, I'm like looking at them. I see their posture. I see them breathing. I'm like, okay, tilt your neck this way. And then I'll retest something. And they're like, that totally changed. They're like, how'd you know? I'm like, cause every time you breathe, this shoulder was going up. Like you have to use that shoulder <laughs> to get other things to work. So I think adding in an assessment course is going to help a lot of people. It's just hard because like you being a chiropractor, I'm a PT. A lot of times in these courses, you can get massage therapists, trainers. Sometimes they don't have the assessment background, but you're giving them all these tools. So it's hard to um, cater to everyone. So we want to have some simple screens to put out there so you can at least be on the right track. Yeah. I think that's so important because sometimes you go to a course over the weekend, you're like, oh, this is going to be awesome in the office. And then you go back to the office on Monday and you're like, how do I integrate this? Mm -hmm. And if you're not... Yeah, that's the hardest part because the, the products that Rock Tape has, they're products, they're tools, they're just tools in our toolbox. Like the tape is a tool, the blades are a tool, the cupping is a tool, but then how do you kind of bring it all together? And I try to give them little hints of that in a course, but ideally we're just trying to teach them the concepts of what you do with these tools. Then it's on them to go and assess and figure out, okay, in this case, I need to do some decompression on the tissue. In this case, they need more stability and breathing. So maybe I use a taping diaphragm kind of cue. So I think they're trying to pull it all together for people because that's been the biggest feedback we've gotten for wanting to more, more assessment type content. Yeah. I know as practitioners, we all struggle with our own personal injuries and have to like figure out what tools to use. Has there been any significant one that comes to mind that was like nagging or? I recently just avoided having shoulder surgery and Amazing. it comes, yeah, I mean, I still, I mean, I, cause I have all the hardware and the one shoulder, but it actually goes back to my breathing, you know, and just my breathing and my posture because just changing my breathing changes your rib cage angle. You change your rib cage angle. It's going to change how the scapula is lying on your rib cage and then how my shoulder works and then go do high volume pull-ups and muscle-ups and CrossFit, you know, just <laughs> a little bit of tear on your shoulders, wear and tear. If you're in the, like just a little bit of a bad angle. Or, you know, my history of my car, uh, not car accidents, what kind of car accidents, on my bike, hit by a car, and all my core issues from there, from the abdominal stuff, not maintaining midline, that with breathing together was the reason for my shoulder stuff. 
So it was more of the DNS and looking at the breathing and changing that and then getting in, doing some soft tissue work, doing all the other stuff, but looking at my breathing and seeing how I could change, like immediately change and realizing I was like the biggest cheater out there when it came to like (laughs) pull-ups, like I was not using my lats at all. I'm like, it was so, it was humbling. Like I did a lat pull down with 10 pounds and I couldn't even do it with proper form. Meanwhile, I was doing like 160 pound body weight, you know, pull-ups, but it was all cheating. So it's a humbling when we actually have someone point out to us, be like, okay, just tuck this and move this. And then I'm like shaking, <laughs> trying to move. I'm like, okay, I didn't earn it. I guess I'm not allowed on the pull-up bar anymore. And so, I earn it. so, Do you find it hard for people to understand that breathing is really important or breathing a certain way is really important? It's been like a huge wake-up call for people. Like one of my high end, like athlete clients, like he was having horrible cramping, like to the point where it looked like an alien was in his stomach. Like you could see the the rectus, like just going into full contracture. It ended up, it was all his breathing. Like he was not engaging transverse abdominis and like breathing down into his pelvis. Like we changed the breathing. His squat got deeper. The cramping went away just with breathing cues. Then once they see those changes, they're like, holy crap. Or like chronic neck tightness. I'm like, you're breathing all up here. They don't realize it's, I'm like, well, if you take 15,000 breaths a day, it's like doing 15,000 squats with crappy form. How are you going to feel? Yeah. You know? Amazing. And it's, I think so. it takes a very high level practitioner to recognize that and not just do some soft tissue work, some E-stim, mm-hmm. some hot packs and send them on the way. So Yeah. Yeah. And then just um, trying to look at it loaded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother level of like, you know, how many doctors actually lift, you exactly. know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen someone and they're like, oh, I was told not to squat below 90. And you're like, what? You're like, how are you going to live your life? It's <laughs> bad like, for my knees. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So where can people find you? So you can find me if you're on Instagram, it's primal strength doc, or if you primal strength pt.com is my website. You can, there's a link on there for an email. The website is in the works. So (laughs) there's at least some information there to find me, but it's primal strength doc. Awesome. Facebook, Facebook, it's primal strength, physical therapy, or just Megan Helwig. Awesome. Or if they're in Carlsbad, they can just come find you. Yes. If you're in SoCal at all. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been so fun. I feel like we're just like parallel lives happening on just different coasts. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) 